Hi, and welcome to Prayers, Promises, and Principles, a podcast from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a 501c3 nonprofit organization based in Dallas, Texas, and known by many as Maggie's. In this series, we take an in-depth look at the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous to study valuable prayers, promises, and principles from each step. In each episode, an alcoholic woman in recovery will use her personal experiences and knowledge of the Big Book to take a deeper look at the step being studied. Please note, the curriculum we teach is from the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. However, we are not an Alcoholics Anonymous group and we are not associated with AA. We're so glad you're here. Thanks for listening. We are in for a treat. My name is Stephanie Crawford. If I have not met you guys yet, I look forward to meeting you soon. But I am the program manager for Next Up as well as uh, the host for our Magdalene House podcast. So today, season three released, and we had Patty Watson on, and um, and her episode was released this morning. Y'all, it is so good, but you will cry. She has such a powerful story, and it's just her wisdom. It's just so great. So after we get off this call, listen. Um, But today, what we get to do is we're going to be launching a brand new series called Prayers, Principles, and Promises. And so what we're doing in this series is we're taking each step and we're going to talk about the step itself, the prayers that go along with that step, the promises that go along with this step, and the spiritual principle that go along with this step. So if you have not heard our speaker today, Chloe, she is amazing. If y'all need to go back and listen to all of her study in the steps talks, they're just so good. She's so down to earth and personable and also has like wisdom. And if you guys have any questions, I mean, she is just the perfect person to be launching us on this series. And she's going to be talking about step 12. So without further ado, I'm going to introduce our speaker, Chloe Kramer. Hey guys, I'm an alcoholic. My name is Chloe and fun fact, today is my sobriety birthday. So I know. So, so exciting. I got sober on July 7th, 1992. So um, it's a big and exciting fun day. And I, you know, like I just woke up with so much gratitude. So this is really the perfect place for me to be this morning. You know, and I've been reflecting a lot about you know, my sobriety, I I did not get sober with the intention of staying sober, you know, like this was not, you know, like I I just, I had no idea what I was getting in for. You know, I thought that I would just, you know, like get people off my back for a little bit. I, you know, I, I, I got sober through an intervention. Um, My mom and my grandmother and some of my friends all got together with this interventionist from a treatment center and my bags were packed and I was told I was either hitting the road or I was getting in this guy's car and going to treatment. And I thought everybody was overreacting. And if they would just like, you know, get off my back and just leave me alone, it would be fine. And I just was really delusional about how my, how my behavior, like that I mattered to people. I just didn't think I mattered to people. I thought that like, 
I, I didn't understand that other people were so affected by the way that I was living my life and that it was causing them pain. And I really was just sort of too selfish to really even care. I just thought that the solution was just to look away and let me just, you know, live in oblivion and you know, but I also was really lazy and had no money and no skills. And when my bags were packed and I was given the option of, you know, 28 days of treatment or, you know, having to be on the streets, I thought treatment was the easier, softer way, you know, and the guy made it clear that they would do a full assessment. And if I wasn't an actual alcoholic, they would return me to my, you know, family's home. And then I could abuse them terribly, you know, with this false accusation and, you know, um, I could ride it out. And so that was my attempt. I went to treatment, like downplaying everything, lying about everything, saying that it wasn't that bad. And in the end, God was bigger than that, you know, um, in the end, I, I still didn't really think I had this thing, but there was enough of a window that I, I was just willing enough to seek more. And so from there, I agreed to go to long-term treatment, you know, and it was in that time that, you know, I had my real, um, you know, I had hit some pretty good physical bottoms with alcohol while I was drinking, but I had the real surrender to the truth of my alcoholism. I was presented with facts I was able to, you know, relate it to my own experience. And from there, I was willing to do what it took to get better because I really wanted a different life. And I was thinking about the paragraph on page 25 this morning where it says there is a solution. Um, and I think it fits pretty well with kind of what we're talking about today with step 12, which is, I'll just read it. So almost none of us liked the self-searching, the leveling of our pride, the confession of shortcomings, which the process requires for successful consummation. And that's talking about the steps, right? Like, I don't want to do a four step. I don't want to surrender. I don't want to have to tell somebody else what I've done. I don't want to have to fix things with people. I don't want to have to look at my mistakes, my harms, my shortcomings and um, let go of them because who am I going to be without those? Who am I going to be with the, without this bag of tricks, without these manipulations, without this, you know, self-reliance? And it tells me that the process requires that for it to work. But, and this is the big, but these bots are like, we have to pay attention to that because there's like sort of a contingency, but we saw that it really worked in others. And that was so big for me. And I think that's really where the, like a lot of the promises of step 12 come in is that I saw that other people were getting better, you know, other people reaching out to me and telling me about how they used to be, me being able to relate to it, me seeing myself in them. And I had no solution. I had no better way of living life. Um, and it tells me we had come to believe in the hopelessness and futility of life as we had been living it. I was desperate. You know, that desperation, that hopelessness, that pain was so necessary. I had to be so convinced of my own utter failure at life that then when other people were getting better, I could see it in them and it was attractive, you know? And that's one of the reasons that we have to let that light shine through us. We have to, you know, however that looks, whether we live, you know, out loud and we, you know, talk about our recovery um, or, you know, you know, we all have to figure out what that looks like for us. But, you know, that, that was what saved my life was seeing other people getting better around me while first also being convinced of my own utter failure.
So the next line is when therefore we were approached by those in whom the problem had been solved. So solved, fixed, they are recovered. They have been restored to sanity. They have been awakened spiritually. There was nothing left for us, but to pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools that at our feet, people were not begging me to do it. They weren't caring more about my sobriety than I was. I was hopeless and there was nothing. I had no other options. I, I was convinced of my, my powerlessness on all levels. And so I had nothing left, but to pick up this kit of spiritual tools. That was my one last hope was, well, if this worked for that loser, maybe it'll work for me, you know? And that was kind of the great thing about, about long-term treatment is I saw other people that just were such hot messes. They were such dumpster fires. They, you know, were riddled with like the same, um, you know, slew of problems that I had with mental illness, with, you know, just like criminal records with all of these things. It just seemed like I, I was convinced of their hopelessness. I thought like they, there was no reason they should be getting better. And as I saw them getting better, I got hope that, you know, maybe this thing is real because he's, you know, worse than I am. And, you know, now he's, he's got something that I don't have. So I had nothing left, but to keep, pick up the simple kit of spiritual tools that were laid at my feet by my sponsor, you know, by somebody who, who had a message to carry. And then it has this promise. We have found much of heaven and we have been rocketed into a fourth dimension of existence of which we had not even dreamed. And so we have like this, you know, in, at, at Maggie's a lot, we talk about the disease cycle, right? Like the cycle of doom or the relapse cycle or the, you know, um, we call it a lot of different things, but it's like, you know, what happens, you know, once we were restless, irritable, discontent, we seek ease and comfort. We see that, it, you know, we, we pick up that first drink, the allergy, da, 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 you know, we do that whole thing. It works in the same way with the, with the awakening of the spirit. You know, it's like, we see that it works in other people. You know, we pick up this kit of spiritual tools. We find much of he heaven. We're rocketed into this fourth dimension. Um, we experience this entire psychic change. And then we carry this message to other alcoholics. And from there, we are like, we, you know, we stay in this place of being restored to sanity, which means that I'm easily able to control my desire for alcohol. Like I am, um, I'm recovered. And that's like, that's the great news that this, these 12 steps in the big book offer is that like, I am given a life that I never thought that I could have. So maybe I should say what step 12 is. That might be a good place to start since that's what we're talking about. You know, I think that, uh, you know, a lot, the thing that's hard is that with step 12, like a lot of what we're, you know, the, the, the principle of it, you know, is we, and this isn't straight out of the book, but it is, you know, the, the principle behind step 12 is service you know, working with others, with helping others, putting other people's needs first. And so, you know, that's throughout this whole book, it talks about that over and over again. Um, and so, you know, really we could talk the whole time just reading the book and finding, um, you know, different promises and um, prayers related to that. But the step itself is that, you know, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. And I just want to say that for a second, you know, that, that is what we get. That is the, you know, um, that's the promise. Like that's the biggest promise that we get out of step 12 is that we have a spiritual awakening and that's, you know, that's good enough. You know, like that's, you know, it, it, 
it might sound small, it's not. That spiritual awakening changes every aspect of who we are, what we want, what we're able to accomplish, how our friends and family feel about us, how we show up. You know, so having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message. So that's the message that we're carrying. You know, that that's the only message that we're carrying is that I've had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps. That's all it took. You know, I think that, you know, that sometimes gets lost, but that's the message that I have to carry. We tried to carry this message to alcoholics and to practice these principles in all our affairs. These principles being pretty much, I I think, all of the principles in the first 11 steps, as well as the principle of service. You know, we're, this is now about being awakened. We have been awakened and, you know, what it's, you know, we've, I've talked about this other times. We don't know that we're asleep until we wake up, just like as at night when I'm sleeping, I don't know that I'm sleeping. I don't know that I'm dreaming. I don't know, you know, what's happening until I wake up in the morning and I look back and think, oh, that was a dream. I don't know that I am asleep spiritually until I am awakened spiritually. And then I look back and think, you know, everything that I thought was real was not real. You know, everything that I thought that I was, you know, all of the, I think the biggest delusion that I had was all of these things that are so shameful about who I am and and all of the ways that I think that I'm a terrible person. Once I'm awakened spiritually, um, those all get to be my biggest assets. And that is such a profound shift in perception when I realized that my biggest flaws and shortcomings and um, traumas and all of, you know, become what I'm able to most help other people with. And I think it's also a giant shift, me wanting to help other people because I just had no interest in showing up for anybody but myself. You know, if, if, if we believe what step three says, which is that selfishness and self-centeredness are the root of our troubles, you know, the opposite of, you know, being self-centered is being other-centered, being centered on somebody else. And so, you know, that's, that, that is my biggest way of combating what ails me, which is, you know, lack of powerlessness. You know, I am, I'm blocked from power. The only way that I can access power is through these steps and through constant thought of others, you know, um, does anybody have any questions from there? Yeah. I have a question. So you mentioned that the big book talks about service throughout, but can you give some specific examples on where in the big book we can find stuff relating to the spiritual principle of service? Absolutely. Let's talk in, you know, starting with working with others. I mean, it goes back, you know, earlier, but starting with working with others, there's really clear cut instructions on how to help other people. And I'm not going to go through all of the like intricities of, of how to do it. Um, it's, I think it's pretty explicit, but, um, as far as like the principle of service, if we look at like page 94, so you are outlining the program of action. So at the very top of 94, first paragraph, explaining how you made a self-appraisal, how you straightened out your past and why you are now endeavoring to be helpful to him. It is important for him to realize that your attempt to pass this on plays a vital part in your own recovery. So, you know, there's this principle of service. It, you know, yes, I'm helping you to help you, but it's also helpful to me. And I think that that is an important thing to explain to people so that they understand, like, you know, there is, it's this sort of circular thing, the cyclical thing that you help me by me helping you. And 
when you are awakened, when you, you know, get to the other side, like the hope is, and the expectation is that you will do this also. You know, I was talking with um, somebody this morning about like, you know, about my sobriety birthday today. And, you know, I mean, the truth is there were, you know, 29 years ago sitting in, you know, um, in AA, there were just as many people in those rooms as there are today. And there, you know, those, a lot of those people aren't around anymore. And so I'm not saying all of them have drank and died, but a lot of people get sober, get this great life and just sort of fade away. And I think that, you know, I, one of the things that I think that I'm so grateful for is that it was really pounded into my head that I have a sense of responsibility, that I've been given this new way of life. And it's now on me to be willing to show up for the alcoholic who's born today. You know, how selfish is it of me to get this solution and then keep it to myself, get this fantastic life and just, you know, go off and live it and let the people who are, you know, who have yet to find this, you know, to, to, to not be there to make sure the door is open for them. And so, you know, in AA, there's this responsibility pledge, you know, that I'm responsible that the hand of AA is always there for the alcoholic. Um, and I, I take that seriously because I, I feel like I couldn't, it would take a hundred years as the great philosopher DMX has said, you know, um, it, you know, I, I couldn't, I could not pay back um, to God what I've been given, you know, it would take a hundred years for me to do this. And, you know, and I believe that it's like, I, I think that that great gratitude in action looks like, you know, showing up for the alcoholic to make sure that, you know, that they get the same opportunity that I had, because I have no doubt that my life would have been short and, you know, and dismal without this. And so, so anyway, so actually, so follow going forward in that paragraph, actually, he may be helping you more than you are helping him. Um, suggest how important it is that he plays the welfare of other people ahead of his own. Make it clear he's, on, he's not under pressure, that he needn't see you if he doesn't want to. The more hope, and I love this. I mean, this has nothing to do with what we're talking about today, but the more hopeless he feels, the better. He will be more likely to follow your suggestion. And I think throughout the book over and over again, really all of the stories of transformation start with like us having to be utterly hopeless. So, you know, I mean, again, there is a million um, and let's, you know, we can keep talking about them on 97, top of the page, first full paragraph. Never avoid these responsibilities, but be sure you are doing the right thing if you assume them. Helping others is the foundation stone of your recovery. A kindly act once in a while isn't enough. You have to act the Good Samaritan every day if need be. It may be the loss of many nights sleep, great interference with your pleasures, interruptions to your business. It may mean sharing your money and your home counseling frantic wives and relatives, innumerable trips to police courts, sanitariums, hospitals, jails, and asylums. Your telephone may jangle at any time of the day or night. Your wife may sometimes say she is neglected. A drunk may smash the furniture in your home or burn a mattress. You may have to fight with him if he is violent. Sometimes you will have to call a doctor and administer sedatives under his direction. Another time you may have to send for the police or an ambulance. Occasionally you will have to meet these conditions. We seldom allow an alcoholic to live in our homes for a long time. It's not good for him. And it sometimes creates serious complications in a family. Though an alcoholic does not respond, there is no reason why you should neglect his family. 
You should continue to be friendly to them. The, fr the family should be offered your way of life. Should they accept and practice spiritual principles, there is a much better chance that the head of the family will recover. And even though he continues to drink, the family will find life more bearable. Those are promises, you know, it's like, and a lot of times, you know, I, I, as I was kind of looking through some of this, a lot of times with the principle of service in that same paragraph, they follow up with what the promise is attached to it. And so when I, you know, am willing to help people, you know, inconvenience myself, my telephone jangling at all times of the night. Um, I've had people steal from me. I've, you know, had to go to court with people. I've, you know, there, there's it. If, if if we hang around alcoholics long enough, there's a lot of drama that goes with it. And attached with all of that is a promise of a life better than anything I could imagine, you know? And so I love in that paragraph that it talks about, you know, helping the family also, you know, that we, we don't really save this way of life just for the alcoholic it's available for everyone. And, you know, having that heart of, you know, the good Samaritan all the time, um, doesn't mean, oh, well, you know, if you're not, if you're, if you're not willing to stop drinking, then, you know, you're dead to me. No, we, you know, we have this heart of service for everyone for, you know, we, we begin to get to see, the other people in this world as God's kids, just like I am. And it is my job to let God demonstrate through me in whatever way he would have me. And, and my heart is for alcoholics because I have a way out. You know, I've been properly armed with truth and with facts and with these tools. And so I have, you know, a unique ability to help alcoholics. Um, and so that's where my heart lies, you know, but we, um, we continue to serve God wherever we can be helpful. Hey, Chloe. Yes. Hold on. Rachel, did you have a question here? Yeah, I just, I just had a quick question, Chloe. Yeah. I'm, as we all know, I mean, you never have a problem helping others, but did you ever find like maybe early in your sobriety or do you find any, any time, you know, how they talk about restless, irritable and discontent. Do you ever find yourself struggling? I guess not necessarily struggling, but having a hard time helping others, or maybe when you get in yourself, are you automatically able to be like, okay, this is what I'm doing wrong. I need to get back out there and help people. If that, I don't know if I made sense with that question. You did make sense. Maybe I'm going to dash your hopes that you will someday stay sober long enough that you'll be perfect. But dude, I am still <laughs> selfish. You know, there are still times that I'm like, it's 1030 at night. I wish the phone would stop ringing. Um, and you know, I also, I think one, the benefit of being sober for a long time is that I have a lot of experience recognizing that my feelings aren't real, you know, and that I can't make decisions like that. Every time I've made a decision based on not feeling like it, you know, th there's a spiritual price to pay for everything. Right. And so it's that question of like, how free do I want to be? You know, am I willing to pay the spiritual price of selfishness? Sometimes the answer is yes. Sometimes I'm like, I cannot deal with this right now. And then, you know, usually, usually it kicks my ass a little bit and I return the phone call and I am like, I'm light again. And so at this point, I, like I'm almost selfish about my inner freedom. You know, it's like, I love how it feels to be like right with God. You know, it's like that good living, that clean living that, and I've, you know, I can see so quickly how, um, how that spiritual malady and that discontent and that irritability that when I feed that, that's what grows. 
you know, and when I can set that aside and be like, okay, you know what, like that, those are the, you know, sort of red flags, so to speak that, you know, um, that, that those are the tells of my spiritual condition. And if my spiritual condition is, er, you know, then the solution is God, you know, and the fastest way that I can access God is through his kids. And it's, it can sometimes just be picking up the phone and saying, Hey, how are you doing? You've been on my mind, you know, just getting out of myself, or it could be, Hey, I know that you, you know, had a doctor's appointment yesterday that you were nervous about. How did that go? Um, or I know your car's in the shop. Do you need a ride? Do you need groceries? It's, you know, just constant thought of others. And, you know, there can be that sort of tricky um, payoff of knowing that it's going to make me feel better too. You know, it's sort of like the perfect scheme that God came up with, with, you know, as far as like, well, these alcoholics are particularly selfish. And so they're never going to think of other people unless there's like a real, you know, spiritual jolt in it for them. So I'm going to make it feel extra good so that they want to keep doing it. And, you know, the healthier we get, the more we do it because we want to, you know. So Rachel, yes, I'm still terribly flawed. I, uh, I hope that maybe this year is when I transcend all of this, you know, BS that is the human condition, but the first 29 years have been, have been void of that. I'm a lot better. I am a lot better, but, um, I still, you know, get in my own way all the time. Okay. Thank you, Chloe. Yeah, absolutely. Chloe, yeah. I'm sorry, Chloe. This is the, no, you're not bothering me. This is what I'm here for. When you talk about, you know, you hope one day that you, you, you know, you'll be better and you'll, of course, we always will improve with the, with the knowledge, just like the little things today are just like, yes, yes, mm -hmm. yes. God always uses the flaw because he's trying to make a point is that we are always going to be flawed. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, when we go all the way back to the beginning of time. He always picked those of us that were just a hot mess. And to show that he can, you know, use the worst of the worst and use us to spread the message. That's the whole goal is, is doing that. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. I mean, it's true. It's, um, you know, I, I know for myself, it's like if you kind of take two separate people and one person is perfect from all intents and purposes, they are like from, from the outside, they seem to have the perfect life. They have never had a problem. And they're saying, here's what you need to do. You know, right. I'm not going to, you know, but if somebody on the other side, is like, dude, I have burned my life to the ground. I've been just where you are. No judgment. You know, I get it. But if you want a way out here, like I, like that's the person that has depth and weight, right? That's the person that, you know, like catches my attention. And so you're right. I mean, you know, th that's why we don't, um, you know, live in the regret of where we've come from, because that's how God demonstrates through us what he can do, what his power is. Because, you know, if, if you guys can, you know, trust me when I tell you that I have no power in my life to do better than I did 29 years ago, this was all God, you know, like that's the miracle of it. Not like, well, I figured out, I read this self-help book and now I know all this stuff. You know, I just like, I was a bumbling idiot and I just followed directions that my sponsor gave me and I made a lot of mistakes, but I kept doing, you know, I kept on this path and God has done incredible things. Um, and it'll work for you too. Like that's, that's the miracle of it. You know, well, not that like I've been made perfect by any means, but maybe this year. Thanks. Yeah. Anything else? 
we can go back to the book. Well, let's go to page 99 at the bottom of 99. Let no alcoholic say he cannot recover unless he has his family back. This just isn't so. In some cases, the wife will never come back for one reason or another. On the, and on the page uh, facing it, there's that paragraph that says, burn into the consciousness of every man that he can get well regardless of anyone. The only condition is that he trust in God and clean house. So then going back to the bottom of 99, remind the prospect that his recovery is not dependent upon people. It is dependent upon his relationship with God. Um, we have seen men get well whose families have not returned at all. We have seen others slip when the family came back too soon. Both you and the new man must walk day by day in the path of spiritual progress. If you persist, remarkable things will happen. When we look back, we realize that the things which came to us when we put ourselves in God's hands were better than anything we could have planned. That's a promise. You know, that is a promise that anything that came to me was better than what I could have planned. Follow the dictates of a higher power and you will presently live in a new and wonderful world, no matter what your present circumstances. That's, I mean, that is a huge promise because the truth is we live on earth surrounded by a bunch of other humans who are also mostly concerned with their happiness, what they get, what they want, just like I am. And we bump into each other all day long. And so this is telling me that I get to live in this new and wonderful world, no matter what my circumstances are. My mom died this past weekend and that is a whole big complicated thing. And I am sad and I have all of the things with that, but my, um, my spiritual condition doesn't need to be affected by that. My emotions are, my heart is, but I know that God's got, you know, like the God's got me, God's got her. It's, you know, that, that is part of life. And, there is, a, you know, I was one of those people that I walked around all day long being affected, and I still can be, being affected by the way people looked at me, by the way they talked about me, to me, the way traffic was, the way the cashier was, the way work was. My emotions were up and down. I was, I was, you know, a hammer looking for a nail. I was looking for a fight. I was looking for, you know, a reason that it wasn't fair and, um, and so I was just a roller coaster of emotion all the time. And I think, you know, the, one of the biggest promises that I've been given is that like, I can be okay, no matter my, no matter my circumstances, when I got, um, you know, divorced, you know, that, that whole story was like just the biggest shock of my life. I think, you know, I went from thinking that white was white to, you know, being told that white was green or whatever, you know, I thought that the sky was up and I'm told that the sky is down. Everything that I thought was real, it turned out was different than I expected. And I was okay, you know, and being able to walk through that was proof to me of God's power and, and like God and the way my life is today has proven to me to be like proof of how much God loves me because he has given me a life a hundred times better than I could have created for myself. If you or someone you know is a woman who wants to grow in her recovery, join our three-month non-residential program. Next Step offers community, structure, and accountability to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. Every Next Step assignment and accountability group helps alcoholic women to stay sober and thrive in her recovery. We have in-person and virtual options available to help women near and far. 
please call 214-764-0793, extension 500, to complete your phone screening to see if you qualify. You know, I think to loop it back into helping others, um, what we get when we when we sponsor other people or when we help others, when we become um, engaged in life and present for life is that I get to watch what you guys go through. I get to watch the ups and downs of your life and I get to watch God work in it. And so sometimes I'm too affected by the emotions of my life and the fear and the uncertainty but when, what I get to do is I get to see God show up in ways that maybe you can't recognize because you're in fear, you know, and you're going, I don't know if this is going to work. And I'm going, oh my God, but do you see, do you see, I, God's got something so crazy cool planned for you. And I can't wait to see what it is. And so like being so, um, you know, intimately invited into people's lives and into like the rebuilding of their lives. I see God in a way that I wouldn't ever be able to see in a casual way without these relationships that we get. And it's just like the biggest miracle, you know, it's like, I really have seen God's power more in you all than I have even in myself, just because, you know, I'm just one person. You guys are dozens and dozens and dozens, and I get to see God's power and and love multiply over and over again, you know, and the only requirement is that I keep giving it back and that I stay connected. You know, the ripple effect. Yeah, the ripple effect. Yeah, this is, you know, no man's an island here. You know, as it says at the end of step 11, faith without works is dead. Like this is action and more action. You know, that's what this is about. This isn't about just me having this little gift and keeping it to myself. This is about being inconvenienced. That's where the miracle is. That's that when I show up for life, that's where God is. I know Stephanie's heard me say this before, but. Right before the like drop bottom dropped out in my marriage, I suddenly got like four or five brand newcomers, like in like just a couple of days, like it was super weird. And, and I was like, I don't know how, like, I don't know how I have the time for all of this, which is always, you know, like, I think God's big joke, you know, there's always time. And, you know, it's like, I had all of these girls that were super excited and wanted all of my time and attention. And then, um, you know, things fell apart in my marriage. And I was so grateful for those women. They called at the worst possible time all the time, which was always the best possible time. You know, it's like, I would hang up the phone. Um, I, you know, I, I, I would be in all this self-pity or more than self-pity. It was usually fear. Like, Where's the money going to come from? Where am I going to live? What are my, what's going to happen to my kids? Is this going to destroy them? You know, like just all of the things that go with that. And I'd be in the middle of, you know, like, you know, self-reliance, you know, how am I going to figure this out? And the phone would ring and I'd think, oh, like, I, you know, I don't have time, for, but I'd answer because I've been taught, you know, that that's where God is. It's in the action. And so I'd answer the phone and, you know, and sometimes their problems were so much worse than mine you know, and sometimes they weren't, sometimes they were petty little things, but it didn't matter. It just, you know, that's where God needed me to be. God was throwing an opportunity at my feet to get out of myself. Um, and by the time I'd hang up that phone or I'd close that book or they'd, you know, leave my house, my perception of my life was different. And, you know, at the end of the day, this is all just perception, you know, cause I don't know anything. It was just, it, it was, you know, just, it was a really beautiful time. And, um, you know, some of them stayed sober. Some of them didn't, 
you know, um, but as Lois said to Bill, but Bill, you're staying sober, right? Like that's the miracle. Like, you know, we're not in the results business. We're just in the, in the showing up business and transmission of, you know, of, you know, information and what happens is not my business, you know, but I stayed sober. I stayed happy. I, you know, I, I stayed in, you know, the palm of God's hand. Any questions? All right. Well, let's, um, so, so if we go to page 89, there's some great promises there that, you know, are kind of the, there's sort of two sets of kind of quintessential 12 step promises. The first one is in the very first paragraph on working with others, which is practical experience shows that nothing will so much ensure immunity from drinking as intensive work with other alcoholics. It works when other activities fail. That's huge, right? That's huge for those of us who, you know, have lost our self-confidence in being able to manage our drinking on our own willpower. That's giving me a really simple solution right there it works when other activities fail. You know, if you've ever been to like a regular meeting where they tell you to take a bath or take a walk or take a deep breath or light a candle or, you know, um, if those things have failed for you in the past, this might work, you know? It says, this is our 12th suggestion. Carry this message to other alcoholics. You can help when no one else can. You can secure their confidence when others fail. And so then here's this, these promises here. Life will take on new meaning to watch people recover, to see them help others, to watch loneliness vanish, to see a fellowship grow up about you, to have a host of friends. This is an experience you must not miss. We know you will not want to miss it. Frequent contact with newcomers and with each other is the bright spot of our lives. And, you know, for those of you, if you're anything like I was, I was so isolated from people. You know, I had people that I drank with or that I partied with, but like nobody knew me and I didn't know them. They didn't care about me. I didn't care about them. Um, You know, I had nothing to offer anybody. And when we are awakened in here, we can be of real help to other people. We get people in our lives that care about us, that show up for us. You know, Um, I remember I had this sponsor who would, who brought me some cigarettes and treatment And I felt like I just, I felt so shameful about needing somebody to help me at this point. And she said, Chloe, how do you feel when you're able to help people? And I was like six months over at this point. And I said, you know, it feels really good. And she said, well, then why deny me the chance to be helpful? Well, you know, one of the things that's happened is now that, you know, I've been sober a minute, I think that like, I should have it figured out, right? Like I shouldn't need you guys. I shouldn't, you know, it's like, I should be the one with the answers that you come to. And that's not the truth. You know, the truth is, you know, it's like, I still need people. I still, you know, really, I love my friends. I love, you know, I have a sponsor. I still, um, you know, I, I still have to be accountable to other people. And so when my mom passed away this weekend, I knew people that I could reach out to who had been through similar things or just who, you know, would want to be there for me. And I want to selfishly deny other people the opportunity to be a friend, you know, because I'm prideful and self-reliant and, you know, and, and sometimes the way that we get to show up in God's image is humble and, um, you know, and authentic and vulnerable. And, you know, um, that's an area that I still need a lot of growth in because, you know, I, I don't like not knowing, I don't like being messy. I don't like 
not having the answer. And so, you know, it's like, that's where I get to just keep stepping into is like, I've never done this before. I've never, I had, I had never been a single woman in AA. I had never dated really, you know, um, as an adult sober person, you know, these are new experiences for me. And so, you know, it's like, I get to be flawed and teachable and reach out to other people and, you know, let them share their experience with me. And, you know, and, and that's a beautiful thing. That's, you know, that's where my growth gets to continue is in having new experiences and being in that stream of life, you know? Hey, Chloe. Yes. I have a question. Um, you said that, you know, you still have a sponsor and people that you are accountable to. How often do you talk to your sponsor? Mm, Probably not enough. That, that is an area that, but I, you know, I, I strive to talk to her once a week. That's, that's my ideal is once a week. I'd like to meet with her every, um, every couple of weeks, you know? So, so what I hear you saying is somebody with 29 years sober still tries to talk to her sponsor weekly and meet with her every few weeks. So somebody in newly sober should be doing at least that, correct? Absolutely. I mean, I think the great truth is that the same things that, that got me sober, got me recovered at two weeks sober, at two months sober, um, are the same today. I, you know, I don't have AA 2.0, you know, it's, it's exactly the same. I have to do the same exact stuff. I still have to write four column inventory. I still have to write fear inventory. I still have to ask God to take defects of character. I still have to be accountable to other people. I still have to make amends all the freaking time, you know, because we don't get more than human. You know, I'm, st- I'm still afflicted by that same um, bent towards self-reliance. And, you know, so yeah, I still, I still have to do all the same stuff. Yeah. There's no like coasting, which, you know, is sort of a beautiful thing though, because I, I, I wouldn't do it. It like, if my life didn't depend on it, I wouldn't do it. You know, I like to think that I would, you know, just do these things because it makes me a better person. Um, at the end of the day, like, you know, I have to be remain convinced that my life depends on this stuff, you know, just as much today as it did, you know, when I was first getting sober. I had just a quick question, Chloe. Sure. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> sorry, I feel like I'm asking too many, but <laughs> there's no such thing. <laughs> I guess when I hear you, I mean, from hearing you today, what I think is awesome is, I guess for me being newly in recovery, what kind of scares me is, and it's just probably one of my character defects too, but is staying stagnant, if that makes sense. So, you know, you think, okay, when you get such and such amount of years of sobriety, you're just kind of on this plane of being stagnant. But um, I guess the way I've started thinking about it is just how our disease is progressive. Whenever we start drinking, it gets worse very fast. From hearing you speak, it seems like, our recovery is also progressive. So the more that we do, the faster, you know, it just continues to get better. So I guess my question is, do you have like, cause you do so much help for others. Do you have one specific thing that just you really love to do as far as step 12 and giving back to others or one thing that you found that you have a particular skill in, you know, that you just like doing other than other things, if that makes sense. I don't know. It does make sense. I mean, I, some people like are really called to be like, you know, speakers, right? Like they can carry a message in a really powerful way from, you know, a stage, a podium and, you know, 
for me, like that just has never, I'm probably just too fear-based. I don't know. Like for me, I love working one-on-one with newcomers um, and, or with people that are further along, you know, it's like, I, you know, um, I've gotten sick in sobriety. I've gotten sick with several years, you know, sober, I've become unrecovered. And so, you know, I do, I have a soft spot in my heart for women with times sober who are, um, you know, back in that restless, irritable, discontented place. And so, you know, I always love working with women who just need a new experience. You know, they need to, you know, surrender. And um, I loved bringing commitments into, you know, into treatment centers or into detoxes, into jails. It's been a long time since I've been able to go into a jail, but like, I love that. I love, um, I do night watch, which is like a, is through inner group where you can, you know, sign up to, get phone calls in the middle of the night. And that's, those are good reminders for me of, you know, I don't know if you guys would be like plagued with that middle of the night despair drunk where like, I would just be crying and want to like tell everybody, but it's like a loneliness that nothing else is like, um, in the middle of the night, drunk by myself, like just desperately trying to connect with somebody. And so when I get those calls, um, it just, it hurts my heart and it puts me back in that place of remembering, um, where I came from. And I think, you know, that's, you know, a lot of what we get in helping others is, you know, that real mirror back to where we've come from, you know, but also I think that mirror of where, you know, again, where God's power is. So, yeah, I mean, I think sort of all of it, I don't know. I think, again, maybe the only thing I don't like is speaking from a podium. Um, you know, the rest of it, I'm just like, I guess it's just such a good feeling to have, you know, a real way to help other people when I just didn't for so long, you know, and being there for my family. I think that's another big one. Cause I, you know, my, I had a sponsee who had four little tiny kids at one point and, and she really couldn't do a whole lot of service. She would have sponsees come to her house and stuff, but she couldn't do a whole lot. And she, she said to me once, I just feel like God has called me to feed his hungry and clothe his naked. They just all happen to live in my house. And I, you know, it's like, I think that that's true. I think that we serve God um, wherever we can. And sometimes it looks like, you know, the hungry, cranky toddler in our house. And we have to see that as an expression of God's love, how we can help this tantruming baby, um, you know, from a place of real, you know, um, real connection but we can never, you know, I but again, you know, we, we are armed with a truth that a lot of people don't have about alcoholism. And so it does, you know, it, it does shoulder us with a responsibility to be available for alcoholics in a way that I think, you know, is unique to us. Anything else? Well, I didn't talk about the 12 step prayers yet. If we, the one that, you know, really, I think, so, I mean, honestly, like the third step prayer and the seventh step prayer, both of those, you know, really are talking about like, Hey God, could you like relieve me of the bondage of self? Could you take away my difficulties so that I can help others? You know, like it really has set us up from the beginning with this idea that like God's giving us this life and this freedom and this hope and this message so that we can serve his kids. It's not so that I can just take my cake and go home or take whatever. I don't know what the expression would be. So I get to like, just go live on top of the mountain. But, um, you know, it's, it's that I get this so that I can help others. Like we get to, you know, to serve God. And that's what, 
that's what we're called to do. So on the bottom of 64, it's a second to, or the second full paragraph down, our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God is will constantly disclose more to you and to us. And so this is a prayer. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. So that's telling me if my own house is, isn't in order, the answers aren't going to come. So the answers will come if the contingency is I've kept my own house in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. I've also heard on the opposite of that, you will also, you will always transmit what you do have. And so if you are sick, you will pass that sickness along. So, you know, we, we can't help others unless we have been restored, you know, unless we have a, a real message to, to share. See to it that your relationship with him is right. And there's a contingency. If we've done that, then great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. And, you know, again, that's just, that whole paragraph is just filled with, you know, that one encompassing prayer and then all of the promises that go with that. We get to have this incredible life if we keep close to God, if we keep our house in order, which is that we, you know, continue to do steps four through nine, which is really just step 10, right? We just keep that the whole thing, and you know, if you guys have been through the steps, um, you know this already. The whole thing is getting um, connected to the sunlight of the spirit, and I have been so blocked from that. I am so full of self. You know, I I say this a lot because it just it revolutionized the way that I looked at God, and that is that I don't have more God in my life today than I did 29 years ago. You know, I don't, God's just as in my soul, in my body, in my, wherever God lives as 29 years ago, 30 years ago, 35 years ago, but I was so full of self. I was so full of resentments and fears and sickness and, um, self-centeredness, selfishness that I could not access God. And so four through nine is all about getting rid of those things so that I have that connection to God. So I can form an actual relationship. Um, and so once I have accessed that power, once I've, you know, reconnected, once I've, you know, developed that relationship with God, 10, 11, and 12 are all about maintaining that open channel so that I can stay in that sunlight of the spirit. And step 12 is, you know, just, it, it's God in action. It's where I get to my favorite. Oh, I wish I had thought to, do we have a couple of minutes? Can I read the, um, Sam Schumacher poem? Yes. Mm -hmm. It is just my favorite. So this poem was written by this guy that was, um, he was part of the Oxford groups. He like headed up the United States chapter. And so he, this is like our real predecessor to Alcoholics Anonymous. And they were giant in 12 step work like they're, you know, which they didn't call 12 step work. They were helping people, not alcoholics. It was just people in general. They wanted to they, they believed that they could change the world by basically putting people's hands in God's hands. And that was their whole mission. And so that's where Bill and Bob met was in these groups. Um, but they cared about alcoholics and so they wanted to help alcoholics. And that's why we broke off from these guys. But. I want to read this poem. I hope you guys, if you want to sign off, that's fine. But I love it so much. And I, I think it's, you know, step 12 
all wrapped up. It's called I Stand by the Door by Samuel Schumacher. I stand by the door. I neither go too far in nor stay too far out. The door is the most important door in the world. It is the door through which men walk when they find God. There's no use my going way inside and staying there when so many are still outside and they as much as crave to know where the door is. And all that so many ever find is only the wall where a door ought to be. They creep along the wall like blind men with outstretched groping hands, feeling for a door, knowing there must be a door, yet they never find it. So I stand by the door. The most tremendous thing in the world is for men to find that door, the door to God. The most important thing any man can do is to take hold of one of those blind groping hands and put it on the latch, the latch that only clicks and opens to the man's own touch. Men die outside that door as starving beggars die on cold nights in cruel cities in the dead of winter, die for want of what is within their grasp. They live on the other side of it, live because they have not found it. Nothing else matters compared to helping them find it and open it and walk in and find him. So I stand by the door. Go in, great saints, go all the way in, go way down into the cavernous cellars and way up into the spacious attics. It is a vast roomy house, this house where God is. Go into the deepest hidden casements of withdrawal, of silence, of sainthood. Some must inhabit those inner rooms and know the depths and height of God and call outside to the rest of us how wonderful it is. Sometimes I take a deeper look in, sometimes venture in a little farther, but my place seems closer to the opening. So I stand by the door. There's another reason why I stand there. Some people get partway in and become afraid lest God and the zeal of his house devour them. For God is so very great and asks all of us, and these people feel a cosmic claustrophobia and want to get out. Let me out, they cry, and the people way inside only terrify them more. Somebody must be by the door and tell them that they are spoiled for the old life. They have seen too much. One ta once taste God and nothing but God will do anymore. Somebody must be watching for the frightened who seek to sneak out just where they came in to tell them how much better it is inside. The people too far in do not see how near these are to leaving, preoccupied with the wonder of it all. Somebody must watch for those who have entered the door, but would like to run away. So for them too, I stand by the door. I admire the people who go way in, but I wish they would not forget how it was before they got in. Then they would be able to help the people who have not yet even found the door or the people who want to run away from God. You can go in too deeply and stay in too long and forget the people outside the door. As for me, I shall take my old accustomed place, near enough to God to hear him and know he is there, but not so far from men as to not hear them and remember they are there too. Where? Outside the door. Thousands of them, millions of them. But more important for me, one of them, two of them, ten of them, whose hands I am intended to put on the latch. So I stand by the door and wait for those who seek it. I had rather be a doorkeeper, so I stand by the door. So thanks guys for having me. I feel like I uh, left out a thousand different um, examples of promises and, and examples of the principle of service in step 12, but hopefully in my babbling, something came out of it for y'all, but yeah, I was, this super was perfect. Everything that was said needed to be said. So if y'all like the podcast, 
please like, subscribe, and leave a review. It helps us reach more alcoholic women, which is ultimately our mission here at the Magdalene House. Chloe, thank you so much for joining us today. And let's all remember to stand by the door today. Happy birthday, Chloe. Thank you. Love, Love you. you. Bye. Bye. This podcast is from the Magdalene House, a recovery community for alcoholic women. We are a nonprofit organization located in Dallas, Texas, and we provide comprehensive recovery services to alcoholic women at absolutely no cost. You can learn more and support our mission at magdalenehouse.org.